You probably didn't know that Chinese President Xi Jinping sent tanks into a major city last night in order to put down protests against his rule. Virtually no American media outlets even acknowledged that that happened. And that's pretty weird if you think about it. Imagine, for example, that Hungarian leader Viktor Orban put tanks into Budapest to crush his political opponents. Would our media notice? <laughs> oh, yeah, they would. It would be on the front page of the New York Times. Morning Joe would lead with it. And keep in mind that Hungary is a very small country. It's got a GDP smaller than South Dakota's. China, by profound contrast, has the biggest economy in the world. China's our main global rival. It's a highly significant place. And yet somehow, no one in any newsroom in America noticed when Xi Jinping decided to replay Tiananmen Square. They just didn't see it. Even though um, China's done an unbelievable job of lifting people out of poverty. They've done an incredible job, I mean, far beyond uh, what any country has done. We were talking about 19, mid-90s to today. The biggest change is the number of people that have been pulled out of poverty, by far. And we should all applaud that. And we should all feel good about it. And so there are, in, in the environmental leadership today, is very clear and it aligns completely with apple's values the chinese uh, uh and welcome back to flyover politic podcast it is the third of december year of our lord 2022 and i wanted to start with that because none of our media covered it so i put apple behind it and that sums up our corporate media betters China can roll out tanks. There's no problem with that. And crush protesters. And I know it's part of our capitalist system. Hey, I love capitalism like the next guy, even though capitalism really bit me in the butt this week. But goddamn. So you can sell more phones. So the NBA can do more things. Sorry about that. I had a power surge on my light. Um, did not like it, so I took it off. That's just weird. Anyway, so before we get into meat potatoes, and I apologize. This has been a hell of a week. Uh, Health-wise, financially, a lot of things went down. I couldn't podcast. So I kind of doing a catch-up. And I want to start first with... Joe Biden. One of the first red flag laws in the state of Delaware, my son Bo, was the one enforcing it. And it made a lot of difference. It saved lives. 
So that's number one. Number two, the idea, the idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick. It's just sick. It has no, no social redeeming value. Zero. None. Not a single solitary rationale for it except profit for the gun manufacturer. Can you do anything about gun laws during the lame duck, yeah, sir? I'm going to try. What will you I'm, try and do? I'm going to try to get rid of assault weapons. During the lame duck? I'm going to do it whenever I, I got to make that assessment as I get in and start counting the votes. And Mr. We want to tell you what's happening with President Joe Biden railing against access to assault weapons in this country in the wake of the three most recent mass shootings in Virginia and in Colorado. The idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick. It's just sick. It has no, no social redeeming value. Zero. None. Not a single solitary rationale for it except profit for the gun manufacturer. Can you do anything about gun laws during the lame yeah. duck, sir? I'm going to try. What will you try and do? I'm going to try to get rid of assault weapons. So what, if anything, can the president actually get done before Republicans take control of the House come January? Let's bring in CNN's Jeremy Diamond for us this morning, live at the White House. Hello, Jeremy. Um, what can the president get done? Not very much, Don, to be honest. I mean, listen, President Biden is vowing to try and ban assault weapons, whether in the lame duck session or after that. But the fact of the matter is that the president just doesn't have the votes and he doesn't have the votes in the lame duck either. You'll remember that President Biden during these midterm campaigns, he repeatedly urged voters to elect more Democrats to Congress to be able to pass this assault weapons ban. Uh, the reality is that while Dems are uh, Democrats are going to be losing the House of Representatives, even now it, with that majority in the House, the Senate, they just don't have the 60 votes to get over the filibuster to be able to pass that ban on assault weapons. There's no question that the president is sincere in his desire to want to get this done. But the White House also sees some political value in talking about this, in consistently calling for this ban on assault weapons. They see it as something that is broadly popular with the American public and also something that, of course, is a guy. I wonder, do you have a sense of and you've seen a lot over the past decade and a half, you've been covering uh, Capitol Hill. You've seen lawmakers get shot. Steve Scalise, get yep. shot with an assault-style weapon. What's it going to take? If it's not going to take children getting shot or shoppers getting shot at Walmart, even though that was a pistol, other places, other markets, kids getting shot, lawmakers getting shot. I mean, what is there? Do you have a sense of where the line is or if that line exists for lawmakers to say, oh, God, we're just a little bit tired of this? The and the president again called for a ban on assault weapons. He said, quote, the idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick, just sick. It has no social redeeming values, zero, none. President Biden is passionate about this. He said he's going to continue to try to get votes for this in Congress. But of course, passing any ban like this would be an incredible uphill battle. The reality is he couldn't get this done when Democrats had control of both chambers and, of course, next year republicans will control david do you do you share jonathan's pessimism that any of that is going to get done in the lame duck and if so what else would you like to see the president and the democrats try to get done yeah well as jonathan mentioned we had some not insignificant gun legislation uh, within the past uh, couple of years and so that was a pleasant surprise 
You know, it would take, President Biden spoke about red flagging, the, the, you would find somebody you think is, is potentially dangerous and we would be able to, authorities would be able to go in and take guns away. That would take a gigantic culture shift in this country, a, a revamping of the way we think about privacy, a revamping of the way we think about the role government plays in protecting the common good. I think it would be something I think would be good, not only for to head off shootings, but good to live in a society where we, we cared more intimately about each other. And I would be willing to give up uh, certain privacies uh, for that to happen. But th for many Americans, that would just be a massive cultural shift to, to regard community and regard our common good and, and more, frankly, in a European style. I think it would benefit our society in a whole range of areas, but uh, it's hard to see that kind of culture change to a society that's been pretty individualistic for a long, long time. That was so incredibly coordinated. You saw the media reports afterwards. And then, of course, the New York Times sees signs of extremist violence, owning guns, not voting for Liz Cheney. That's how they coordinated it. It went together. But it's how we operate. Here is the New York Times with that SBF kid who lost $40 billion. here and on behalf of the public, I want to thank you for engaging in it at a time in truth when I know you've been advised not to. So thank you so very, very much. Um, thank you. Sam Bankman-Fried, everybody. Seriously? You applaud a guy who ruined people's lives? Well, he donated to Dems. So of course you're good. You're good to go. A lot of COVID this week. I'm just going to play another one of my little montages on COVID. Life is utter garbage. I'm in so much goddamn pain all the fucking time. It doesn't matter what I do, what I eat, how I act. 
And it's all from that vaccine. It's all from COVID. My gallbladder, stomach, it's just trashed. Yet they're once again going on that it's going to be a dark winter unless you get boosted. Boosted with what? A vaccine that doesn't work? I mean, seriously? That's what we're going with? Seriously. I mean, I had to sell my fucking Jeep this week. Favorite vehicle all time. And luckily a friend, rich in Alabama, wanted it. I didn't fuck him, which made me lose about 10K, but who cares? Because it gave me enough to be able to get rid of my credit card debt and balance our books. But I had to give it up because I can't even get fixed. I got some kind of scan. They don't even know what the fuck. I haven't got results yet. But now they're going after blood flow. I'm fucking miserable. Ten months. And you're still pushing a vaccine that started this shit show and didn't stop anybody from getting the vaccine. We all got it. So what the fuck? So before I get into the serious shit, uh, we got some Turkey Day. We got, you know, we have quite a bit of fun stuff to cover today. One of the things I've been talking about incessantly and probably annoyingly to anybody who follows the show is all the new procurements of weapon systems and the B-21 rolled out the Raider stealth nuclear bomber. While I show this, the Army made a big decision this week. They're going to go back to be all you can be for their slogan because nothing else is working because they can't get people in because they're too woke. But here's a stolen video of it flying prior to the release and part of the rollout.
Ladies and gentlemen, our nation's between one breeder. That is, that is one sexy little bitch, isn't it? That's pretty badass. So to start off a show, I would be remiss if I didn't cover the media shitting on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The day we gather with friends and family to enjoy turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, and pumpkin pie. We throw on the game, catch up on our lives, and then discuss or quite possibly argue about religion and politics. For millions of Americans, it's a day of cherished traditions. And as Americans, we certainly value those traditions. But it's also important to unpack the myth of Thanksgiving. It is a holiday riddled with historical inaccuracies, built on this myth that the indigenous welcomed their colonizers with open arms and ears of corn, a simplistic fairy tale interpretation of a 1621 encounter between indigenous tribes and English settlers that erases the genocide that followed. It's the truth Republicans want banned from our textbooks because here's the secret they want so desperately to keep. We are a country founded on violence. Um, as coronavirus surges out of control in nearly every single corner of the country, it looks like spaghetti has been spread all over the U.S. map. This morning, the number of cases in the U.S. has topped 12 million. The CDC is pleading with people to not travel for the Thanksgiving holiday. But 40 percent of Americans plan to attend a Thanksgiving dinner with 10 people or more, potentially creating super spreader events all over the country. So with just days to go before America's favorite holiday, I'm urging you not to be the turkey who puts your loved ones at risk. Jelani, I want to point this out. Thanksgiving has evolved in America just like Christmas, right? At one point, Christmas was a time where rich people opened up their houses for people to come in and get stuff. Thanksgiving has changed over time as well. I know in my family, I know several people who call it colonizer Christmas uh, because they don't really like the idea of what Thanksgiving represents. From a cultural and a historic standpoint, is it really that much of a disruption that we should maybe back off of Thanksgiving this year? Haven't we had other times where major holidays had to change because the nation was facing crisis? Sure. Or, or if you even think about it, that original Thanksgiving, uh, you know, where the colony was starving and, uh, you know, in anthropological research suggests uh, was in such dire conditions, they had to resort to cannibalism uh, to remain alive. Uh, and, you know, it always has been kind of awkward to say that you commemorate that by stuffing yourself with as much food as you can find, uh, that maybe perhaps people have to actually think about a small sacrifice uh, that would be, uh, you know, fitting. Now, but the idea of consecrating America on this day and being celebratory of our nation, we have to sort of say also, in addition, you know, you may take great pains to be all-inclusive. 
do know there are some American Indians who feel that Thanksgiving should be a day of mourning, not a day of celebration, because of what happened to their people. So how do you want us to think I, about I wrote As John was talking about the imagery of the president standing there with troops behind him, the president literally, maybe he's watching, tweeted a bunch of photos from the trip. That's a big win for him. Do you think, Anne, given the impeachment battle is going on, the president is under attack in all sorts of ways, are we going to see more overseas trips that give him these kind of uh, photo op scenarios? Well, we do know he's uh, going to London next week for a uh, NATO meeting. That isn't quite the same kind of, of, of imagery. And, and except for the fact that he'll get to hang out with Boris Johnson, it's not a, a trip the president is particularly looking forward to. It will be politically important, though, because he will talk about a couple of, of priorities for him, which are, you know, getting other countries, uh, other NATO nations uh, to pay more. Uh, and we will hear him, no doubt, uh, distort that that record, but he does actually, he has actually gotten uh, European nations to, uh, several of them to increase their uh, domestic military spending. He conflates that with some sort of donation to NATO, which is not a thing, but we'll, we'll hear him say that next week and uh, and take credit for getting Germany to do things that it, are politi it's political. Uh, and don't go in here at home because the myth of the first Thanksgiving is just that, my friends. It is a myth. I turn the mic over to show favorite and my friend, Jassy Ross to explain. That's coming up next. With Thanksgiving right around the corner, I wanted to turn the mic over to Cross Connection favorite and my friend Yassi Ross for this week's essay and his take on the real story of Thanksgiving and some history you probably never read in your school books. Okay. My name is Jassi Ross. I come from the Amstapi Pukani Nation. The mythology of Thanksgiving closely mirrors the mythology of America. That mythology is the image that white Americans love to see of themselves. White settlers come to a strange land in good faith, bringing something of great value that enriches the people who are already here. The natives also bring something of immense value, equal exchange. That closely mimics the mythology of white America. It is how America wants to see itself. The truth, of course, of Thanksgiving is much different. The truth is pilgrims did not bring turkey, sweet potato pie, or cranberries to Thanksgiving. They could not. They were broke. They were broken. Their hands were out. They were begging. They brought nothing of value. But they got fed. They got schooled. Thanksgiving. It makes sense. There is much for white Americans to be thankful for. But I'm still trying to figure out what indigenous people received of value. Instead of bringing stuffing and biscuits, those settlers brought genocide and violence. That genocide and violence is still on the menu as state-sponsored violence against Native and Black Americans is commonplace and violent private white supremacy is celebrated and subsidized. From Stonechild Chief Stick to Mike Brown to Renee Davis to Breonna Taylor to Eric Gardner, Indigenous and Black people are still being murdered by those paid to protect us. From Ahmaud Arbery to Trayvon Martin, white Americans are still killing Native and Black Americans with no fear of reprisal. They brought chattel slavery to Africans and Native people. That still happens through the prison industrial complex that imprisons the descendants of enslaved Africans and Natives at far disparate numbers. That is the reality of Thanksgiving. Many of us are still waiting for white Americans to bring some value, still waiting for white America to match the mythology of Thanksgiving. 
freedom, justice, equality, reparations for two and a half billion acres of stolen native land, reparations for 246 years of stolen labor, reparations for stealing native children. Stop the killing. It's still happening. Stop the theft. It's still happening. Return the land. Match the mythology. Then and only then. They just fucking hate anything traditional. This came from the Biden administration on how you can push Biden's bullshit at the dinner table. And sadly, the Federalists did a conservative version of it, which I dog, because you're not supposed to be talking about thanks politics of Thanksgiving. What's wrong with you? Elizabeth Warren with their fake fucking ethnicity, Native American Heritage Day. Yeah, fuck off. Time to rethink Christmas is half the country not Christian, says Diversity Group. This is from England coming to a theater near you soon, but why don't you just not celebrate it? I mean, it's an idea. Don't celebrate. Nobody's going to make you celebrate. Time Magazine did this COVID fantasy that we didn't celebrate it. Because of COVID. But my favorite Thanksgiving moment, which I just was shocked how much of a dumbass this guy is. Here's Biden calling in to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. phone call you know i i'm not one to take a phone call during tv oh but i think i think i should answer this one hello mr president i don't think i can hear you can you hear me mr president yeah hello Happy Thanksgiving, Mr. President. Are you there? Well, we're here. <laughs> oh! Hi, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I was so worried this call wasn't going to go through. How are you? We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> you're watching your parade. You're doing I, a good job. Oh, thank you. I love that you're watching you're like the... For the good weather of the parade, too. <laughs> That's the best part. I will take credit for that. Yes, thank you very much. And just like millions of Americans, you guys watching the parade, what do you want to say to everyone watching right now? We just want to say we're so grateful for uh, the people, for this opportunity, for the health that we have now in America. And... Uh, Joe, what do you want to say? Well, I want to say thanks to the firefighters, the police officers, first responders. Um, they never take a break. And God bless our troops, for and, sure. And by the way, uh, we're going to be talking to some of our troops later today, both here and abroad. And I hope everyone remembers. We end every single day. God bless our troops, for real. That's so true. We are so grateful. And, and what are your plans for Thanksgiving after the parade? Well, we're just going to uh, have dinner with the family, probably take a walk on the beach, and uh, just uh, feel for uh, for our family. Well, we've been coming up to Nantucket for, since we first got married, whole family, and uh, it's become a tradition. And we're going to go stop at the fire department. We're make- what the fuck is wrong with that guy? He's just not right, man. He's not even remotely right. He's the opposite of right. 
He's a hot fucking mess. So the big thing was yesterday's Twitter, and I'm going to read the tweets. I'm not going to put them up and slide because, let's be honest, it's a lot of tweets. But Twitter was talked about. Here's Brian Seltzer about freedom of speech. Some of what's ailing Twitter is is the the sickness that we're talking about more broadly. Like, you know, I used to be there was an era on Twitter where, you know, I would tweet where I was going to meet up with my friends, and I think it was like 2010. I tweeted um, there was a bar in Lower East Side. I tweeted I'm at Epstein's. And 10 years later, that tweet was taken by conspiracy theorists to mean I was at Jeffrey Epstein's. Oh. And I'm thinking, again, it goes back to the fact-checking thing. It's like, so do I show them a picture of the bar? Like, it was a really cool bar back in 2010. But there's no getting through to people that want to believe you were over at Jeffrey Epstein's. Um, but, but that, to me, is the evolution of Twitter, like in one tweet, you know, one innocent post that gets distorted by crazies, uh, you know, in that way. And, uh, uh, you know, with all that in mind, I still am on Twitter. I use it differently. Um, but I'm, I'm intrigued by what Musk is going to do. And I, I do wonder if there's a, there's a scenario. I'll try to be the optimist, OK? There, there could be a scenario where he says, OK, there's two versions of Twitter. There is the moderated version of Twitter that has been implemented to some degree in recent years. Um, of course, there's still a lot of nonsense on that moderated version of Twitter. But you know, they have, uh, they have taken steps to try to clean up some of the pollution on Twitter. Maybe you're going to have access to the moderator version, or you're going to have access to the completely free-for-all Wild West version. And people can choose back and forth which one. And I do wonder, Ben, being an optimist, probably totally naive, maybe that's what we need on the internet. Uh, we need a version where when you're inside the walls, uh, you know that the New York Times website is what it appears to be and, and not an AI-driven, robot-ridden version that's trying to trick you. And when you're outside the walls, anything goes. And Brian Seltzer was executed. And, you know, it's all that out there. And Republicans say that um, Democrats are picking on Elon Musk. Elon Musk is doing just fine. But do you think that users have a right to freedom of speech, even if what they're saying is wrong or offensive? I think that one human being should not decide how millions of people communicate with each other. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. That's not how it should work. Here we are uh, at, the, at the merch thing, and there's an entire entire closet full of secret closet of hashtag woke t-shirts well that was twitter's new owner elon musk mocking a t-shirt the company made years ago in an effort to show support for its black employees and users twitter founder jack dorsey wore the shirt during a 2016 panel with civil rights activist ray mckesson some critics ridiculed him for wearing it during the panel dorsey mentioned being on the ground in Ferguson for protests over the fatal police shooting of Michael Brown. In a now-deleted follow-up tweet, Musk noted that the shirts came after the Ferguson protest and repeated a right-wing talking point suggesting that the protests following Brown's death were overblown. And he wrote, and I quote here, hands up, don't shoot, was made up. The whole thing was a fiction. Now, Musk replaced a deleted tweet with a follow-up tweet containing only the link to a Department of Justice report on Brown's death. Okay, Facts first here on CNN. Musk said that hands up, don't shoot was made up. The whole thing was a fiction. This needs some context. Hands up, don't shoot. 
So the phrase, hands up, don't shoot, became a national rallying cry in 2014 in solidarity with Michael Brown, who's the unarmed black teenager who some witnesses said had his hands up to surrender when he was shot and killed by a white police officer, Darren Wilson. In 2015, the Justice Department cast doubt on the hands up account, concluding in a report that Wilson shot Brown multiple times only as Brown was moving toward the officer. This is what Musk is referencing in his tweets, the DOJ did not find grounds to charge the officer, but in a separate report released the same day, it did find evidence of system, systematic racial discrimination. I, people will say, I own a gun. I'm not a bad person. I use this gun for recreation. It's my right to have this gun. I'm not sure. going to go shoot up a school. I'm not going to go shoot up a Walmart or a club or whatever. Um, and I'm locking it up. I'm doing everything necessary. Why should my rights be, be threatened? Why should I feel that I can't do this? Because of some people who are not mentally well. How, how do you, can you have that right, that Second Amendment right to, to have a weapon and, and to be responsible for it, at the, while at the same time taking steps to curb this violence? Yeah, so everything you just mentioned about a gun owner, if I can check off every box for that for myself, right? I spent 20 years in the FBI. I have all of that criteria. I'm not going to go out and shoot anything up. I have a weapon because I'm skilled in it and I use it occasionally for entertainment, um, which I know still perplexes some people, but that's okay. It's a right. But the second amendment is just that it's a, it's in the bill of rights. It is one amendment that is not absolute, just like the First Amendment is not absolute. And I think that's really the break point when, when we get to a conversation about it. There has been a very strong lobbying effort to convince people that any infringement on the Second Amendment right uh, is going to take away their Second Amendment right, as opposed to we don't feel that way about the First Amendment um, when we talk about, say, freedom of speech and freedom of press. We know it's not proper, as the Supreme Court said, to yell fire in a crowded theater, that there are certain things that you can't do. You can't talk about bombs when you're jumping on an airplane. Um, so the, those kinds of limitations, the reasonable limitations, the Supreme Court acknowledged in its decision in New York Pistol just this summer. Catherine Schweit. Catherine, thank you very much. And um, Mr. Heine. Yeah, that's not freedom of speech, but here's our thread on it. And let me zoom this in a little more because I can't read it. All right. Which, by the way, is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents. The Twitter files tell the incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It is a Frankensteinian tale of human-built mechanism going out of control. Twitter's conception was a brilliant tool for enabling instant mass communications, making t a true real-time global conversation possible. I'm not supposed to be drinking that, but I am. In an early conception, Twitter was more lived up to its mission statement, giving people the power to create and share ideas. As time progressed, however, the company was slowly forced to add these barriers. Some of the first tools for controlling speech were designed to combat the link likes of spam, financial frauds, and, of course, pedos. By 2020... Oh, 
Slowly over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more use for these tools. Outsiders began petitioning the company to manipulate speech at, well, first a little, then constantly. By 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another. More to review from the Biden team. And that's how you saw so many people go away, including James Wood. Celebrities and unloans alike could be removed or reviewed at behest of the political car party. And James Wood quoted an author, and he was suspended for eight weeks during the campaign. White House spokesman Kelly McGaney was locked out of her account. I'm just kind of fast-forwarding to the more important shit. Locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from the Trump campaign. My con C that least pretend to care for the next 20 days. Um, where are the rest of these tweets? Yeah. That's kind of weird. Now I can't find all of them. Let me go back to this tweet. Because there's a bunch of interesting stuff I want to cover, but... Let me find his Twitter. All right, here we go. I'm going to go backwards. He moved it back to a different thread. Okay. This led public policy executive Carolyn Storm to send out a polite what-the-fuck query. Several employees noted that there was tension between the comms policy team, who had little less control or moderation, and the safety trust team. Storm's note returned the answer that the laptop story had been removed from the violations of the hack material policy, which it wasn't hacked. It was just found. Although several sources recall hearing about a general warning from the federal law enforcement summer about possible foreign hacks, there was no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. The decision was made at the highest levels of the company, but without Jack Dorsey, Dorsey knowing, it was actually Vijay God who took over. They just freelanced it, is how one former employee characterized the decision. Hacking was the excuse, but within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. You can see the confusion in the following lengthy exchange, which ends up including Gad and former Trust of Safety, Yoel Roth, comms official, Trenton Kennedy writing, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this unsafe. It's very interesting that these fascists, there was a few with a conscience. By the point everyone knew it was fuck, said one former employee, but the response was essentially to err on the side, and I'm not going to read them all, but this was really political. Former VP of Global Comms, Brandon Borman, said, can we truthfully claim this is part of the policy? To which former Deputy General Counsel Jim Baker again seemed to advise staying the non-course because caution is warranted. A fundamental problem with the tech company and content moderation, many people in charge of speech know care little about speech and have to be told the basics by outsiders. And this is where it just blows me the fuck away. In one humorous exchange on day one, Democratic Congressman Ro Khan reached out to God to gently suggest she hop on the phone to talk about the backlash re-speech. Khan was the only Democratic official I could find in files who expressed the concerns. The rest pushed it. God replied quickly, immediately diving into the weeds of Twitter policy on where Khan is more worried about the Bill of Rights. Khan tries to reroute the conversation of the First Amendment, mention of which generally had a hard time finding in the files. Within a day ahead of public policy, 
Lauren Culberson receives a ghastly letter report from Carl Stabo of the research firm NetChoice, which had already joined or polled 12 members of Congress, nine arms of three, the House Judiciary Committee, Judy Chu's office. NetChoice let Twitter know a bloodbath awaits in upcoming Hill hearings, which members saying it's a tipping point, complaining tech has grown so big that they can't even regulate themselves. Sabo reports to Twitter that some Hill figures are characterizing the laptop story as tech's access Hollywood moment. The First Amendment isn't absolute. Sabo's letter contains chilling passage relaying Democratic lawmakers' attitude. They want more moderation. As for the Bill of Rights, it's not absolute. So this, you know, you're going to hear over the next couple of days people saying, well, uh, some Republicans could send it and ask for things to be deleted, but they never did it. They did it for the left. An amazing subplot of Twitter Hunter Biden laptop fair was how much was done without CEO Jack Dor- Dorsey and how long it took for the situation to get unfucked. There are multiple incidents in the files of Dorsey intervening to question suspensions and moderation action for accounts across the political spectrum. The problem with the hack material ruling, several sources said, was that it normally required official law enforcement finding of hack. But such a finding has never appeared throughout what one executive describes a whirlwind 24 hours company-wide and that's the whole of it the thing is i got suspended for typing facts and this is still happening you can still threaten because the moderators are still super libs they're just super fucking libs. It's never going to change. This is breaking in our disposition of FBI agent Elvis Chan on Tuesday. We found that FBI played a big role in working with social media companies on censor speech. From weekly meetings with social media companies ahead of the 2020 election to ask for accounts takedowns. Chan, the FBI's FITF and senior CISA official, had meetings with social media companies in the lead up to the 2020 election in which Chan personally told social media companies that there could potentially be a rush hack leak those meetings were initially quarterly then monthly then weekly heading into 2020 so yes the FBI was part of it and now hearing just a little we're in denial about the true cost of a Twitter implosion Elon's must platform may be hell, but it's also where a huge amount of reputational and social weather invested. All of that is in peril. And this was from Brian Seltzer writing an article, and it's still all about basically we can't control the rubes. Since our next is going to be hate speech, I want to show this because this is a pretty funny grant diagram of what we do whenever there's shootings non-white shooter white gun control white shooter victim non-white racism non-white non-white run story about kardashians instead and it goes on to exactly what they're doing every time we have a shooter that is gay or what have you and it plays perilously in this Twitter and the gun shooting on our hate segment today because we're going to hear a lot about how all the Republicans are now Kanye West or Alex Jones or some guy that had dinner with Trump and he's an idiot and he didn't know who the fuck he was. So he says, 
and this anti-Semitism thing, because now Kanye West is banned from Twitter. So what we do, just like with gun shootings, is we transpose it on everyone who doesn't vote for us. Miami politics, the media jerk-off of the week. Mitch McConnell did not say Donald Trump's name, yeah. uh, which is noteworthy. What else stands out to you in what might have been a familiar kind of episode from the realm of Donald Trump uh, in the last five years? Well, that's what stands out is how familiar it is, that even when you come up against anti-Semitism, there is this collective silence at first about taking him on, either because Republicans are afraid of taking on Donald Trump because he has uh, littered the roadside with Republicans who've tried to take him on on moral issues, and he's won. You heard Dr. Fauci. The administration is launching a new campaign urging people to get those flu shots, get those COVID boosters. But I think only about 11% have gotten the booster so far, maybe 42 million the flu shot. We've talked about this so many times. People aren't listening. What do you do? David Duke, former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. You know, Stuart, earlier we shared Republican Bill Cassidy's tweet. He was responding to the Trump dinner saying this is not who the Republican Party is. But here's the thing. We just listened to George Bush. It might not be who the Republican Party was, but it's absolutely who they are today. Yeah, listening to that clip from President Bush is like an artifact from a lost civilization. Um, you know, in that campaign, they got a former Republican governor, Dave Treen, to run the campaign against Republican um, David Duke. It, it, it's just look, where the party is now, though, it's not surprising. I mean, go back to when Trump called for complete ban on Muslims and no one in the party or very few said anything. Uh, to American politics now and to this sad, sad but recurring reality, Donald Trump associates himself with conspiracy and hate and all but a few Republican leaders say nothing. Why is this so hard? Uh, why is this so hard? Uh, this is the company Donald Trump keeps, and it's the company he has kept for years. Um, everyone's focusing on Nick Fuentes, who is a horrible, mm -hmm. reprehensible human being for what he says and what he advocates. But yay, Kanye West, whoever you want to say it, also even recently uh, involved in anti-Semitism. And Trump won't apologize, and they won't call him out. Why? Right. Chris Christie says another example of an awful lack of judgment from Donald Trump which combined with past judgments make him untenable, a general election candidate. Mike Pompeo says anti-Semitism is a cancer and talks about what he did as Secretary of State, doesn't call out Donald Trump, no. doesn't say he should be, you know, not allowed to win the nomination. And Ronna McDaniel, the party chairwoman, as I have repeatedly said, white supremacy, neo-Nazism, hate speech and bigotry, disgusting, do not have a home in the Republican Party. You didn't say, you didn't, why, where's the next sentence? So Donald Trump denounced this or nor do you. Power and politics over principle, period. Silence is viewed as a green light for more uh, hate and for even the speech to become more vicious even to... Uh, if, if You titled the book Our America, and the pictures show the great diversity of Our America. But the title also implies that there are things that we share. Yeah. Tell me what that you're trying to show that we share. 
Well, I think, you know, you know, Walter, everybody's talking about, oh, we can't teach our kids this sad stuff. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't talk about this. And, we, and I just realized these are the hallmarks of a, of a tilt towards a kind of an authoritarianism in which you suddenly take, you know, the nationalist approach, which is, you know, all human beings do horrible things, you know, every culture, everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's a litany. What you want to do is say, let's own it all. The hallmark of a great country is to embrace its diversity and understand that in the case of the human resource of it, that diversity has been a strength. As Pete Hamill said, that's an alloy, much stronger. Sitting here in the United States right now, looking at all the things that are happening scared, you have witnessed firsthand the rise of authoritarianism. Do you look at what's happening here and have fears that that could happen here? It already is, Stephanie. I mean, first, thanks for having me, but just listening to kind of, you know, we heard earlier, you double down. That's exactly the kind of incentive structure our communications, our information ecosystems encourage. And it is not a surprise. That's the behavior we see. So you've also witnessed what happens when there's dissent against a dictator. We're having things happen here now, squashing speech, don't say gay. What, why is that happening and what could it mean? But when you talk about holding the line against fascism, with free speech comes this awful speech that's being amplified hyperspeed on social media. So, so what do you do with that? Well, the first is actually make sure that uh, this doesn't happen. Because in the end, this comes from a corrosive business model that we didn't even have a name for until 2019, surveillance capitalism. And in order to fix this, in the long term, it's education. In the medium term, it's legislation. We need protection because essentially what this is doing is manipulating our emotions in order to change our worldviews thinking fast first in order to change how you act in the real world. Well, you know, it was interesting because I've, I've never spent time with Governor DeSantis, so I don't know. But I do know a lot of people in Washington, Republicans in Washington and Republicans in Tallahassee who've dealt with him. And I all hear the same thing. He's a really personally, he's a very stiff, awkward guy in Tallahassee. He's got an extraordinary amount of control in that town with with overwhelming Republican legislatures, you know, holds a couple of press conferences. He loves attacking uh, the media, especially younger women reporters, loves going after them. And he has this routine down, which helps him raise a lot of money, helps him be the, the anti-woke candidate. But I just, Mark Leibovich, I'll bring you in. I keep hearing the same thing. Two words always attached to him as a political candidate if he goes out on the national stage. Those two words, glass jaw, a boxing term to say, this guy, once he gets out on the big stage, won't be able to take a big, won't be able to take a, a, a punch. I don't know if that's the case or not. Again, I've never met him. That's what Republicans who work with him say. And it, your, your, your story, uh, your, your article's filled with stories like that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and the thing is, it's not like he's going to tiptoe out into a friendly environment. And Donald Trump is going to be waiting for him. And I just wonder, when you hear it again and you see what's happening now to women around the world, what do you think, as you say, unfinished business? 
Well, what I think, Christiane, is that we have come a long way since I made that statement back in 1995 on so many fronts. But we are also in a period of time where there is a lot of pushback and much of the progress that has been, I think, taken for granted by too many people uh, is under attack, literally under attack in uh, places like Iran or Afghanistan or Ukraine, where rape is a tactic of war, or under attack by political and cultural forces in a country like our own when it comes to uh, women's uh, health care and uh, bodily autonomy. And we're going to go around the world with you in a second, but first about precisely what you're talking about and where you are. Uh, Arkansas itself, I believe, rapidly moved to make a woman's right to choose illegal in, in your state or your former home state, and you're hosting this conference. Talk to me about the, the confluence of both these events, this pushback on American women's rights at the same time as you're trying to figure a way forward. But, I mean, how much persuasion can we expect when it comes to our, and I'm speaking as a woman, basic rights, whether it's in the United States or around the world? As you said, they are human rights. At what point should these be enshrined, even in the American law and constitution even? I mean, I'm probably exaggerating, but it's, it's extraordinary in 2022 that this basic right of women, half the world's population is still at risk. So we'll see what happens in states like Arkansas and so many others uh, when we face real-world problems, as we have seen already, uh, where women with miscarriages uh, go in for medical care and are turned away. Part of it is that they are the base, right? The Tea Party is now the base, and he's one of them, and a lot, these Tea Party people are now the fundamentals of the party. So it's not as if Trump is some sort of outlier. I think that's what we're missing, is that Trump isn't some freak who's dragging the party to the right. He represents the median belief system of many of the people who vote for him, and it's just that simple. I mean, that's right. We have to kind of go back to the historical origins of the modern-day Republican Party, which does not mean that every single Republican uh, subscribes to these beliefs, quite the opposite. But yet exactly. the origin of the Republican Party, as we know it today, uh, really has to do with a backlash to civil rights. And so any understanding of that Republican Party without that historical uh, backlash to civil rights is incomplete. And so while, of course, a majority, we hope, of Republicans uh, do not espouse these views, I think we can safely say that, uh, you know, that thread has always been there. And there has always been a tension between the ways it is, it, it is expressed, excuse me, what's acceptable, uh, you know, what kind of language can we use around it, how close do you get to um, some, of the, some of the grosser parts of that base versus just a, a plain conservative economic agenda? It's still quite amazing that that gay lady can speak because she's such a fucking racist. And that Hillary Clinton is still just moved around like she's viable. She's still... Did, did you see Mitt Romney getting every time something the left did wrong, they brought out Mitt Romney? How about John McCain? No. Mainstream media ditched them. They lost their loser presidential races. But there was a very interesting thing before we go over to our hate this week. Or not hate, but our, um, our uh, trans this week. 
January 6th was in the news. And amazingly on MSNBC, they're shocked that it was a political witch hunt. And a CNN panel literally said, why don't we know about the National Guard and who opened the gates? Who denied security? That was said on air. But it is because there clearly is a larger goal among a lot of these lawyers who were hired um, to make sure that a lot of the, the boxes are checked. And one of the questions that really wasn't explored at all in the public hearings is why there were intelligence failures, why were there were law enforcement failures, why they didn't have the National Guard there. Those are really important unanswered questions, and that's why a lot of uh, staff members clearly want to get that into the report. Adam Schiff said he wants to get that in, in the report. Right. And for the history of this committee, which is what a lot of the, the uh, staffers and the lawyers and others you know, you know, have been working on for more than a year, is to be a lesson going forward. So they believe that uh, you know, a focus on the former president only will not mm -hmm. uh, be you know, a, a historical a reckoning or rec Carol, I don't know how to make sense of what Benny Thompson said, that the committee wants the Justice Department to get the transcripts the same time the public does. Why do they want that? Who is it good for? What should we think about this? Well, you know, the committee has a completely different uh, MO, Steph, than the Department of Justice. Wow. And I have to say... Well, the MO of the, of the committee is, look, we did the digging, we did the hard work, we were first out of the gate to find and interview these witnesses and gather this evidence, and we are sharing it with the American people. And, you know, frankly, after covering these kinds of investigations for years, it's the Department of Justice that's typically out in front, way out in front, uh, in front of reporters, in front of Congress. But this time, the, the January 6th committee was almost operating as if it were a, a subdivision of the Department of Justice. And it was really gathering new facts, fresh facts, and, and frankly, bad facts for Donald Trump on the, on the criminal case of obstructing a government proceeding. And they found a lot of ways in which he was the man operating the levers to try to, for example, get the Department of Justice to falsely claim that there was a fraudulent election in Georgia. Miracles do happen. So we're going to our trans abuse really quick, but we have a lot of media ones that I'm going to play and describe on the other side because, yeah, they're still pressing this fucking pedo shit. Families! Hi, families! It's time for a pride parade! Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah! Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah! This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade! Y'all, so Hank Green said to make a channel intro video, so here's mine. Hi, I'm Mr. K, and I'm a music teacher on OutSchool. I teach all age ranges from three years old to 18 years old. And I focus on all different aspects of music, how to make it, how to enjoy it, what impact it might have on our society. But you might notice Mr. K only makes up about half this channel. Hi, I'm Miss B, and I'm the drag queen music teacher on OutSchool. Most of my classes are for learners ages three through nine. I mostly teach music and story time where we read a couple picture books and sing some songs about the stories we read. And I also teach some music classes like Miss B's Musical Adventure. 
So I get asked a lot, why be a drag queen music teacher? Why not just be a music teacher? And there's two big reasons behind that. Number one, drag is fun and learning should be fun. And so much of our current education system has completely taken that out of the equation. The second reason is because I didn't have queer teachers growing up. I didn't have queer teachers. I didn't have queer professors. I didn't have queer professionals in my life because they were all dead, largely ignored by the government and the society that they were supposed to be a part of. I want to make sure that the generations that are coming up now get the chance to see visibly queer teachers in a professional space so that they know that being queer and being whatever is absolutely okay. Thanks for watching. Make sure to follow. Bye. 14, 15 year old girl. How many like basically young girls maybe around Emily's age did you help out online? I mean, count the LGBT community, it all comes in with the amount of people I've helped. Yeah. So. Yeah, so you, so you think maybe around like 20 to 30? Yeah. Oh, awesome. And that's like boys and girls? Yeah. Okay, awesome. What, do you, have you come across any trans kids? I've come across a few and stuff. I actually, I don't have any on my Facebook now. Yeah. Because I... After a while, I stopped talking to people because they stopped talking to me. So sure, sure. I take them off my Facebook, but like, I've talked to a lot of people online and helped them out. And that is great. Great. That's, that's so amazing. This is kind of what I want to do. I want to help people. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the LGBT community or people that have been accused of like sexual assault, minor. Like, I just want to help people. That's that's fucking awesome. And if it means like going and doing what I did. I just had a really cute moment with my students and it was a great learning moment. If any of you teachers are using the program ST Math this year, you might know their mascot, Gigi. But as an incentive, my school has this little Gigi stuffed animal and any grade that has the most ST Math lessons passed gets to have Gigi and host her for the week. My class got the opportunity to have Gigi and that was really exciting, but there was a learning moment. Students asked me, is Gigi a she or is it a he? And I said, I don't know. One of the students said, well, maybe they're non-binary. And I had a student say, well, let's just look between Gigi's legs. And I said, well, we don't know a person's gender by looking between their legs. And then my student was like, oh yeah, that's right. So we decided to call Gigi, they, them. It's moments like these that remind me why I got into teaching. These small moments can make such a big difference to kids' lives. And I'm honored that I get to have these moments with these awesome kids. I am starting year six of teaching today. Super excited. No, no, no. your uh, love and care on my last post. Um, here's here's my update, sorry for the delay, my life is chaos on how I clicker trained my family to get my correct pronouns now that I am a trans person. Um, 
So first of all, a lot of people are asking what treat I was using. Um, if you don't know, for circus dogs, when they do something that we like, we click that behavior and then we give them a treat. Um, I did not use it as a positive marker like that for uh, my family because I'm not going to treat them for basic human decency. I instead used it as a negative marker. So every time they said she, I would click so that they would start to associate the click with a she in their head and would start to automatically self-correct. Um, I forgot to take into account the fact that I have an auditory processing disorder and live at like a 15 second delay from everybody and everything else. And so um, I wasn't able to click as much as I wanted to. So it wasn't super effective on that aspect. I think I'm going to need a new invention that counteracts auditory processing in order to get that right. But I did explain to them what this was for and why I was doing it. And then I carabinered it to my hip at all times. And I definitely had several occasions where a family member would start to say something, look at it, pause, and then purposefully gender me correctly. And that happened at least three or four times. So it was effective, but not entirely. So there's my update for you. Day 12 of being a girl, and we're going to go buy tampons. Let's go. Where are they even at? What the? I don't know. Which one should I get? At the Tampax Pearl, um... I think these are like little dots to see how much you flow is what somebody said online. I don't know. Let's do an unboxing. Um, it literally has instructions. Okay, this is a tampon. Um, this thing does not go up inside you. Like, where does that go? Oh my God. What the hell? Okay, so it says you push the plunger up and out comes the baby. Kidding. That just hangs out inside you? How does it, where, how do you get it out? Is that what this thing's for? Oh, oh, it comes open. Oh, oh, do you like, oh, where does the string go? I bought tampons because I've never bought them before. If you need one. That one with the dude not knowing how to use tampons. Really? Really? Another extraordinary thing is how invested the media really is in this. So... Let me get to what I need to be, and I'm fucking up like by the numbers, sorry. This is an NBC News reporter literally saying kids go to concerts if female pop stores wear sexy outfits. It's okay. You need to just let your fucking freak flag go, and your kids need that freak flag. So let them be freaks and go to freaky concerts and see shit they don't need to see and have dudes in dresses read them story hour. That, that's what we need to do. Which, of course, is no. The amazing thing is that one of, one of the articles also came out this week that um, it's from a lefty. Naked men should be allowed to read to little kids. So the media decided we're going to ignore that the shooter was non-binary and you literally hear a trans guy literally say i can tell by looking at somebody which i thought was transphobic yeah there's nothing under his name um and for a 22 year old that is not uh, particularly different than most people. Um, they, young people now tend to have usernames that have nothing to do with their name or not traceable to their actual name. We do know that he was 
you know, he made this bomb threat with his mom in the house. There's this video of this. His mom took a Facebook Live of this happening in real time. This was last year. This was last year. And um, he was let out. Um, that is the unclear thing. Here he is, you know, arriving back in jail. And she called police from inside, and they showed up in tactical gear. And he said he was ready to, for hours. Yeah, and he said he was ready to blow on this Facebook live. He was ready to, to get into a firefight over it. And obviously, he was brought in, but prosecutors did not go forward with the case, and we're still digging through and trying to figure out why exactly that is. Yeah, and the case was sealed, which is that part is not uh, yeah. particularly different in the uh, Colorado law. I do want to say though, um, am I doing something wrong here? Here are some headlines that I wrote the last six months. Fueled by internet's far-right machine, anti-LGBTQ threats shut down trans rights and drag events. Remember, uh, there was a drag event happening in Colorado. Yeah. Anti-trans stalkers at Kiwi Farms, which is an uh, uh, anti-trans website that stalks people, are chasing one victim around the world. Their list of targets is growing. That was a couple months ago. Doctors under threat from far-right activists for providing trans care. Boston Children's Hospital faces bomb threat after right-wing harassment campaign. There were three of those bomb threats. FBI charges Massachusetts women with Boston Children's Hospital bomb threats, so they found one of the people. At least 20 Republican politicians have claimed that schools are making accommodations for students who identify as cats. That was before um, the midterms. Here are, some, here are three more from my colleagues in the last uh, three weeks. As election nears, some conservative groups have ramped up anti-trans campaign ads. Far-right figures appear to be testing Twitter's boundaries for anti-LGBTQ speech. GOP uh, senator targets TikTok influencer with anti-transgender taunts. And I'm just wondering, what could I have done different? Seriously, as reporters, what can we do different? Because there are five dead people in a strip mall, because that was the only place they felt safe as gay or trans people in this town in Colorado Springs. And I am trying to thread this needle here. I'm trying to say that this is happening. This targeted stuff has real life impacts. They say on the internet has real life impacts. And I'm gonna fail, by the way. I'm gonna you know, freak out because it's happening. Because I, I wake up and I see that there are five dead bodies. But I think we have to have a come to Jesus moment here uh, as reporters. Are we more afraid of being on Breitbart for saying that trans people deserve to be alive or are we more afraid of the dead people? Because I'm more afraid of the dead people. I don't want, I, I don't want to wake up on a Sunday and see that all of these headlines came to fruition. Well, what do, what do we do about public officials at local level, state level, federal level, who try to inject the fear of the very word transgender into school issues? That a transgender person might be trying to be on your son's or daughter's softball team. Right, and that's the that, biggest worry, right? That can't be allowed. Right. They're dangerous. Why are they dangerous? We never probe, we never probe the motive of these politicians who cheaply, absurdly, and evilly throw that, th throw that issue around. Right, because of the attention economy that we live in means they get more clicks for it. And they end up on Tucker Carlson. They end up on the highest rated show on cable news. And last night, by the way, Tucker uh, attacked my colleague, Brandy Zadrozny, who's co-biling on almost all of these stories. Not me, he attacked Brandy, of course. But he, he attacked Brandy. Um, and he, he went right back into this idea that some they is trying to groom your kids, trying to sexualize your children, right? Yeah. Who's the they, first of all? Yeah. yeah. And second of all, all of her reporting was right. 
all of it was right. Well, let me let me say you're doing you're not doing anything wrong. You're doing your job. You're uncovering the truth. You're yeah. presenting it. You're shining a light on it. The question is, as with so many of these issues, is are the people who need to hear the truth listening? Are they watching yeah. this? Are they reading your your reporting? The answer, unfortunately, is no. They're living in a different ecosystem. Yeah, and and there is a a long history of this. You know, I I talked to uh, this this woman named Jennifer Merciesa, who's a rhetoric professor at Texas A and M. And uh, she was telling me about this thing called hate objects that come up in, you know, pre-fascist governments where they take people they describe as degenerates, right? And, and you know, before Nazi Germany, it was, in fact, gay, and, gay people, people who played with, uh, you know, gender conformity. Uh, and they say they are contributing to the downfall of society. They are the reason that, you know, things cost more, that the crops aren't coming up, Right. Um, we have been through this in the past. It's very dark. And the people playing around with this uh, don't take responsibility. They go right back into it. But uh, again, these bodies are not on the ground yet. Yeah. And they're being used as political props right now. So, I look, I am open to feedback. I want to hear how I can tell these stories better. You, you, you're, you're doing your job as well. Um, complete ludicrous. <laughs> Um, I believe they're just saying that because they want to have um, the easy way out on this. Um, that's really, really um, offending, especially being a transgender woman myself, that a male, which it was obvious with the mugshot, that's a man. That's not a non-binary person because in no way, shape or form, could they appear as a woman the next day? Um, it's really offensive to even hear that, that they're playing that role. Um, and if they're non-binary, why would you go after the club where you feel safe at? Why would you do that to a community where you are welcomed in? Scott, I want to talk to you about rhetoric, because after the shooting, far-right Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who's previously labeled trans people and drag queens as groomers, tweeted, quote, the news out of Colorado Springs is awful. This lawless violence needs to end and end quickly. But then fast forward to now, and we have, from our NBC affiliate in Denver, KUSA, Boebert on a radio show this week, vowing to continue her anti-trans rhetoric and rejecting calls from critics to be accountable for her words, saying, quote, it's absolutely disgusting to try to blame this on me and try to say that I've had bad rhetoric about the LGBTQ community. That is completely false. You'd think after something like this, the rhetoric would cool off, but what are you actually seeing? Yeah, unfortunately, that's not the case. And, and you can't spend years and years and the midterm elections and all of this time demonizing LGBTQ people, uh, working to pass anti-LGBTQ legislation federally and across the states, and then try to inoculate yourself against a charge that you're a part of this, of this problem by simply tweeting, oh, this is a tragedy and, and it's terrible that it happened. What we've seen uh, throughout the last year and even before, and certainly in the midterm elections, is a concerted effort by right-wing people like her and other influencers to drum up anti-LGBTQ sentiment and to motivate voters to go to the polls. Then we have another one of our detransitioning. And this is a long thing, but I want to play it because the media won't cover what this is doing to people after they medically get fucking thrashed. I was bragging about how I lost like eight pounds in a day. Um, that was the most exciting part to me about this top surgery. I felt like I got useless 
lumps of fat cut off. I, I also wanted liposuction, but they just wouldn't give it to me. So, you know, I, I got my chest cut off. Apparently, you know, when you have a mental disorder, fixing your body, changing your body isn't the answer. That liposuction is not a treatment for anorexia, but surgery is a treatment for gender dysphoria. It was kind of like I just hit a black wall around 13 or 12 years old. Like I literally stopped enjoying things, like nothing brought me joy. I couldn't connect with my family. I started having a lot of trouble with my mental health, constant anxiety, depression, and I eventually began not eating and self-harming. I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and anorexia. My hair was falling out, my skin was gray. I was skeletal, like I, I could stick my whole hand like in my stomach between my rib cage. I, I just hated myself and my body. I think the longest I went without eating was 11 days. So I, I was hospitalized because of that. When I was about 15, I started hearing about transgenderism on the internet and a lot of the things I heard really rang true with me, like, you are trans if, and it was things like, you hate your body, you don't feel comfortable with it, you want to be a different person, and with everything I was going through, I thought that if I aligned my body with my brain or something like that, I would feel better. The, the trans community really love-bombed me. I hated myself, and I was convinced that everyone around me hated me. So when they started really celebrating the fact that I was born in the wrong body, I felt cared for, I felt loved. It, it was genuine love-bombing. It was like kindness over the top all of the time. I actually started the social transition with changing my name and clothes um, offline at 15. My mom was in really bad denial about it and really upset and against it, but I was not willing to listen to her because of choices she had made and like a struggle she was going through with alcoholism and drug use. So my dad kind of had like a prove it attitude about it. He was like, if you're trans, you're gonna start showing symptoms of being trans, so like, make your appointments and prove it's real. I went online and I found someone who called themselves a transgender expert. But when I went in for my first time appointment, she immediately gave me my letter of recommendation for both hormones and surgery, which I took to the first endocrinologist and surgeon that I could find and they accepted the letters and gave me what I wanted. And so then I started the hormones. And then the minute I turned 18, I had my top surgery. It was actually one of three surgeries that day. I was working at Panera Bread. I paid for half of it, about 3,400 upfront in cash at 18 years old. And then the rest I put on care credit, which is like a medical credit card. It went to like debt and everything. Because um, I, I couldn't work at my job for a couple months because I couldn't lift up my arm. And then uh, I ended up quitting because I left my whole family to move with someone I met online in Florida uh, who was affirming me. Looking back, I was so clearly 
not well. Like I was just so unstable. Like I literally didn't want to be alive. I remember my doctors had to ask me questions like who's the president right now? Like just because I was so far from reality. And I just don't understand how at that young age, plus literally not being with reality, I, I could make those decisions that would change my life forever. I was in denial for a very long time because I was like, I put so much into this, so much money, so much energy. I lost family members for this and I, I changed my whole body for this. So when the dialectical behavioral therapy helped me for the borderline personality disorder and I wasn't suicidal anymore, I had a lot more clarity and I started going on the journey to healing. And when I treated that, um, all of the symptoms, you know, started getting better. Nothing that I did to transition treated those things that were causing me mental suffering. I left the really bad relationship I was in with another trans person um, and I moved away. I actually applied to random jobs all over the country and that's how I moved here. All of the love bombing that I was getting like completely stopped and turned into like hate. It's scary because like they told me they'd be there forever and like that's why it was okay to cut off my family. Like they told me, you know, anyone who doesn't affirm you and agree with you would rather you be dead than trans. And then as soon as I found out like it was a lie and not for me, they just completely turned on me like they hate me now. Um, I've had a hair growth on my entire body. Um, like I got some on my chest, my stomach, my face. Um, I'm currently paying out of pocket for laser hair removal and it's, it's expensive and painful. And then um, breast reconstruction, I have to find a plastic surgeon for that. And um, I actually set up a first time appointment with one in December. We're just gonna see what's even possible. Like. All of the tissue is gone, you know? It's like completely flat and tight. This is kind of personal, but I'm like really messed up about what they did to my nipples. I didn't understand that they were gonna be like fully cutting them off, resizing them and reattaching them. Like, I feel like they're not mine. I don't have hips anymore. My shoulders are bigger. I've also had like vaginal dryness and vaginal atrophy and that worries me a lot and it makes things like painful um, and not super functional. When I started testosterone I had also recently been sexually assaulted and they told me a little bit about like how that could cause problems having sex in the future and mess with my fertility but after that had just happened I saw it as a good thing. I, I didn't want anyone to ever be able to like go inside ever again. So I thought like atrophy sounded like a good thing as far as I could even understand it. I've worked through the trauma in therapy, which is what I originally needed to do. Um, and I, I no longer like fear men and fear sex and I want to have children and get married now. And I'm like, I made the decision to possibly lose all of that 
you know, so young and so traumatized. I honestly like feel like loving me is a lot to ask at this point. I really feel like um, every other woman is like a better option than me because they have their original body and they didn't try to live a lie and they didn't mutilate themselves. I don't blame my parents. I think the parents are confused and hurting. Like, I view the parents as victims, honestly. Um, like, they are targeted for so much emotional manipulation. I wonder what was in it for the doctors. Like, did they genuinely think they were helping and there's, like, no research? Or was it just about money? It's imperatively sad seeing all this. They're lost souls, and they don't need to be preyed upon, but the progressives do. They prey on these poor people, and it's really, really sad. But our best trans story of the week kind of goes together with what California's doing. They're letting out all the pedos. Here is Sam Britton. We have our attorney, uh, what is that? the doctor who's a dude in a dress and then we get this guy with a mustache who wears high heels and he's caught stealing and the only where only place you heard it was on fox and then a soundbite they're releasing the pedos in california and they're simultaneously paying people a quarter million dollars just because they're black and somewhere in their lineage somebody was a slave According to a report, there were substantial irregularities during Sam's hiring process, and Sam's gender identity may have taken precedence over actual qualifications. Perhaps the Biden administration chose this former nominee for other reasons. Maybe they were impressed by Sam's lectures on kink or their interest in pup play, whatever that is. Either way, it looks like Sam's not only unqualified, he might also be a criminal. Brinton was allegedly charged with felony theft last month. Biden's nuclear energy expert apparently stole a woman's luggage at the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport on September 16th. And there's video. Took the luggage, took the tag right off the bag, and ran into an Uber and then checked into a hotel. And when cops asked if he took the woman's bag, he said, not that I know of, but these look like my clothes, quote unquote. Well, if you think New York is dominating the country when it comes to letting criminals go free, the Fox News at Night Common Sense Department would like to remind you that California does not like to be outdone. Consider this. An analysis of the Megan's Law database has now found that 7,000 convicted pedophiles in California, convicted, mind you, of a lewd and lascivious act on a child under 14, were released the same year they were convicted. 7,000. And the U.S. Department of Justice says that sex offenders are at least four times more likely than other criminals to be re-arrested for a sex crime. 
maybe we don't have the resources to protect all the CVSs and Target stores in California, but common sense would ask, what about our kids? It used to be pretty obvious, in fact, the most obvious thing of all, that if you molest a child, you can't live among us. You go to jail. But in California, where the rules have been completely inverted, only decent people are punished, the government there is springing thousands of child molesters. Hard to believe that, but it's true. There is a database um, in the state of California that allows people to look up uh, sex offenders, people who live near to them maybe. But um, what you can't do is look at the database en masse to look at the statistics from it. So I wrote a bit of code to pull down some of that public information, had a look at it, and what we found was there are over 7,000 paedophiles who have been convicted of lewd and lascivious acts against an under 14 year old who spent less than a year in prison or in jail which was while he was stealing and if he was part of a public converse, uh, administration you'd hear about this from dawn to dust cnn was publishing this shit that somehow daylight savings time disproportionates blacks really really yeah okay so we're going to do a lighter fare. I have two great sound bites. Somebody made a meme or a video off Griswold Christmas dinner. And then the man's name is Tyler Fisher. And this is every liberal newscast. Hilarious shit. This turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. <laughs> okay, Eddie. Today on the show, we follow the science and talk about implicit institutional bias regarding diversity in the workplace while creating a safe space to deconstruct microaggressions stemming from systemic inequality created by an oppressive cisnormative system while increasing equity in the name of inclusivity to combat racial racist racism for minorities and the trauma from being marginalized by climate change. We interview the leader of BLM, a POC, about AOC fighting for CRT. We cover how the LGBTQs are crippled by toxic masculinity. We then shame you for having white privilege because if you're white, you're privileged regardless of if you're mentally ill, dying of a horrible disease, or been raped a bunch. We then talk about Trump for 30 minutes pretending like we hate him but clearly want him elected again because we can no longer pay our rent with tote bags. We then reveal another 75 new gender identities and finally we ask, should Guy Fieri be canceled for culturally appropriating lesbians? It's currently 79 degrees in Central Park. The time is 4.53 p.m. But time was invented by the patriarchy so you can make up whatever time you'd like. We'll be right back. And it, that is some funny, 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 funny shit. Which brings us to our This is America. And it's a banner one. We're going to have Whoopi saying Christians are horrible. The press secretary saying that the president went to the border. Don Lemon saying that CNN was never liberal. And lastly, you heard part of it, that racist Joy Reid saying that Dems nominate better black folk. So I guess the other black folk aren't 
black folk. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America. They always say it's protecting the life and protecting the life. So where do people stand on war? Well, that's something well, else. That's I, inconsistent well, but, but with again, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, if we're, you know, or, or, if, uh, or gun control, if we're going to talk about what, you know, what we should be doing, I mean, quite honestly, I need all of the religious people to understand that those who do not, who do not follow or subscribe to your beliefs also have rights in this country. They have the right not to believe. You don't have to. I don't have to believe what you believe. You don't have to believe what I believe. But you don't really have the right to stand and tell me that you're a doctor, but you won't take care of me because I'm gay. Thank you, Corrine. Uh, Kevin McCarthy says that he invited President Biden down to the border. How does the president RSVP? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know we know the president's never been down to the border. The possible next speaker says that he wants him to go with him. So is he going to? So look, uh, he's been there. He's been to the border, uh, and since he took office, when, when did he go to the border? Since he took office, the president Biden has been uh, taking action to fix our immigration system and secure our border. And that's why on day one he put forward an immigration uh, immigration reform, a piece of legislation. Uh, to deal with uh, what is currently happening at the border. Our job, which yeah. is which is running CNN, the word on the street is that you guys aren't allowed to be liberal anymore. Is that is that the case? I don't think we ever were liberal. What? Yes, I don't think we ever were. That, liberal. Not me saying that. That's the people out there saying that he's not letting you be liberal anymore. Well, I, listen, I think that I think what Chris is saying is that he wants Republicans sensible Republicans. He wants us to hold people to account, but he wants people to come on and feel comfortable with coming on and talking mm -hmm. on on CNN and appearing on CNN. So if you invite someone in your house, you want to make them comfortable, but also by the, by the nature of what we do, we have to hold people to account. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going liberal or conservative or whatever. It just means that we are doing what we do and that's good journalism. So accountable, not confrontational. I think sometimes one must be confrontational. Look, I don't think that a conversation on television, television should be any different than a conversation in person. Listen, I have, a, I have confrontational conversations with people I love, and I have uncomfortable conversations with people I love, and I think it's necessary. And I think it's also necessary to, 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 to do that on television, on CNN, and then, but you can do that without being vitriolic. I think not being vitriolic is maybe a better, better way of putting it. That is the, the black excellence that yeah. Democrats expect, yeah. and that that's why black folks vote for Democrats. If Republicans want to answer the question, that's the answer, right? I mean, Gary Chambers in Louisiana, Chris Jones is a literal rocket scientist yeah. that ran in Arkansas, Charles Booker in Kentucky, Mandela Barnes, who was the lieutenant governor. It's what the expectations that are met sure. among black folks which is a Stacey Abrams, yeah. you know, that's what people, that's what, that's why black folks vote for Democrats. You know, for a long time now, both parties have ceded some, some wing of their nomination process to celebrity. 
And some of that has to do with fundraising, some of that has to do with telegeneity, if that's a word, and all the others. It is. But the difference is that on the Democratic side, even in a universe in where politics is now the realm of celebrity, on the Democratic side, we tend to nominate qualified and competent people. There's no evidence that that is the case on the Republican side from everything for president with Donald Trump. If you notice, that diatribe about werewolves and vampires was very similar to his comparison at the White House uh, Correspondents' Dinner of Donald Trump making decisions between who to fire, you know, Ed Begley Jr. or Lil... It's so good to be a liberal. You can pretty much say whatever you want. You get away with it. Nobody pushes back. I mean, you can just outright lie and say the president was at the border when he never was at the border. And you can dog Christians. Can dog Jews, or Catholics, or Muslims. Christians. You can dog the fuck out Christians. It's good to go. Nobody has a problem with that. So... That is our catch-up podcast. A lot of sound bites. I'm sorry I'm low, no low energy. I'm not feeling well today. Um, it's just kind of par for the course. Shouldn't be dipping. Shouldn't be drinking that monster. I just want a few nice things in the day, and I, I'm getting to the point where I can't do anything anymore other than drink water and eat very little. So wish me luck. I get my results Monday. Maybe I'll learn something. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com to find links for everything. We're going to shoot for a Wednesday podcast. So that will be uh, 7 December, Year of Our Lord 2022. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. And I thank you all for still hanging with me and still listening. The 50 or so that do, I apologize uh, the product hasn't been that great, but um, I promise eventually I'll get healthy and it'll be a good show again. So until then, thanks for listening. Take care.